0: the answer or Salem media group when it comes to your investments and retirement in this economy it's important to be smart and with the smart investor hour heard right here on am 1420 the answer you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing so sit back listen and learn with your host of the smart investor hour tim hayes of rbc wealth management good afternoon
1: everybody And nice hot day, beautiful day for, uh, I think I'm going to go hit the white ball around after this, but uh, let's start thinking, let's get our thinking caps on anyway. Don't limit a child to your own learning, for he was born in another time. Success has always been a great liar. That's Mitch (laughs) He had some interesting quotes. The question is not, can they reason, nor can they talk, but can they suffer? That's uh, Jeremy Bentham. And we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tra- tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light, Plato. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we, we always talk about uh, our webpage. So if you go to WHK's uh, webpage and you go to local podcasts down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes, you can, you can go directly to my webpage from there, by the way. And uh, look, you can send away or It has contact me, email me type of things on there, and you can get our ADR list, our top ideas. This is Royal Bank of Canada, and we're highly rated, believe me. Uh, Our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our small-cap ideas, our multi-cap ideas. So they're all available. Also, while you're there, every day we have Rob Schleimer's Trend and Cycle stuff, Uh, and he's one of the best technicians on the planet. He's been voted that way several times. And uh, also under uh, insights, we have all sorts of new uh, research and, and things that can help you uh, talk, you know, how to plan your, uh, the cost of a wedding and uh, but uh, Brexit and all sorts of things like that. You know, I mean, every week it, it turns over. So it's new stuff every day. And then if you if you're a business owner, uh, you're trying to sell your company, we have some help for you there. Just a, a quick uh, booklet and the Savvy Investors Credit Workbook. Interest rates have never been lower, folks. And if you can lock in a 15-year or a 20-year late rate, what a great idea. Uh, and money matters for uh, you young professionals out there. Uh, you know, you've got to start thinking this. Nowadays, you got to start thinking right away. You want to uh, retire rich. And Women and Wealth, a planning uh, workbook, which, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of young ladies out there that uh, probably uh, could use some help in that area. Uh, you know, I was looking, and job openings in the United States soared by nearly a million in April, setting a record for most openings added in a month, and the highest overall number, 9.3 million, since the labor, uh, the Bureau of Labor started tracking it. As of May, 2.5 million new business applications have been filed in 2021. That's a record, too, by the way. And startups in the construction uh, space have raised nearly 1.5 billion, so far this year, more uh, more than nearly 1.2 billion, the sector raised in all of 2020. Interesting stuff going on out there, right? Now I, I uh, was reading uh, Lori Calcevina's stuff, and uh, you know Lori is our head equity strategist, and she's a very bright lady, by the way. She's on CNBC all the time, and I think if you listen to her and Tom Lee at Funstrat, you've got a pretty good uh, feel for what's going on. And she said there are four things that we uh, learned this in, in week three of the reporting season, week three of the second quarter of the reporting season. I'm sorry, and one of them is is that most of the major trends and themes for the second quarter reporting season, such as uh, you know strong demand, cash deployment, ability to manage your margin pressures, that type of thing, uh, that we, by the way, we've been highlighting for about four months now, uh, have remained intact. the most part. And and we've learned four new things, four new important things last week, and that is the stock market is indeed sensitive to slowing growth rates. Supply chain, commodity raw material pressures are likely to endure for a while. Companies are tackling labor pressures with efficiency uh, strategies, which is very smart, and some other kind of creative solutions, I think. And, uh, And monitoring mobility is important for keeping tabs on how the Delta variant is impacting recovery. All right, that, those are important things. Number three, uh, it's not unusual for slowing growth rates to trip up the stock market temporarily following a recession. It's a yeah, it happens, okay. And number four, the high frequency data that we track suggests mobility trends remain constructive at least for now, okay. So those are some big themes. So you know, look, stock price reactions to earnings remain fairly mixed last week. Thirty-seven uh, percent of the companies reported rising one percent or more after a one-day trading. And uh, that followed the reach of their earnings, obviously. Thirty-one percent, falling one percent or more uh, at the same same time frame. So those are similar to the stats that we saw in the second quarter uh of twenty well, see, throughout the second quarters of twenty twenty uh second quarter of twenty twenty one. That was hard easy to say. So uh we're reporting season as a whole, healthcare companies are showing the greatest tendency to move up immediately after po- posting results. Uh, followed by materials, consumer discretionary. Uh, m- meanwhile, con- uh, tech and industrials are showing the greatest tendency to fall. So I don't know what that means, but uh, there we go. Now, I, I also read and I uh, listened to Tom Porcelli this week, who's our chief economist, and a very good one, by the way. And uh, he uh, he listened to the Fed you know, a meeting, and right following the meeting, Fed Governor Waller said, go early and go fast. And we talk about tapering. OK, so the economy no longer requires asset purchases, nor do the markets, uh, is what Mr. Waller said. So Waller seems to be placing a fair bit of weight on the coming payroll report as it uh, debates to deciding the timing of when to taper. And I, so that he wrote this. And, and I listened to Tom before the numbers came out Friday and the numbers were huge. Uh, you know, we we added. Nine hundred and thirty-seven thousand jobs. Uh, so it's a hundred and four thousand more than last month, and it brought the the uh, the rate down to five point what five point four percent or five point seven percent. I'm sorry. So, given Waller's comments and the other official musings over the recent weeks, our sense is uh, that nearly all the seven dots. You know, they have the the dot plot that the uh, Fed looks at uh, are looking for a rate hike next year, uh, and maybe in fact all the voters have said something to that uh, sense. So uh, don't, you know, it's not unusual, but it's it's the way it is, All right. By the way, this is a live show. So if you have a question, you want to call in, you got some questions about what we're saying, the number here is 216-901-0945. So that's 216-901-0945. That'll get you directly into the um, studio here. I just want you to know that I've been talking about bonds the last couple of weeks, and there's some bonds that you can buy right now. There's inflation protected bonds, what they, what they call tips are the government versions of that treasury inflation protected securities. Uh, but there's also inflation protected bonds. There's also bonds that reset their interest rate on a quarterly basis. So your principal isn't, is at risk for about a quarter, and then they reset it up, reset the interest rates up or down. All right. One of the best ways <laughs> that I've seen is cor- corporate bond, or corporate convertible bonds. Uh, look, a, a cor- convertible bond is, tends to behave very similar to a traditional corporate bond when they're issued, okay? Uh, because they're considered debt instruments with a final maturity and a coupon rate. Yet, as the name implies, convertible bonds give investors the option to exchange their securities or a predetermined amount of common stock shares from the issuing company. So as a result, unlike a traditional corporate bond whose price typically affects interest rate fluctuations, a convertible bond's price is more strongly correlated to the company's stock price. A lot of these convertible bonds are companies that don't have dividends. So, you know, people are much more comfortable having a yield on a company like that with a lower credit rating or that type of thing. So the bottom line is that convertible bonds give investors the ability to participate in the growth of the company, but they also generate generate baseline interest income. Uh and from a cash flow perspective, bondholders initially benefit from uh more than the equity investors because the bondholders receive interest. Most of the time on the convertible side, you're not seeing too many uh dividend payments. So uh so What's the good news? A rising stock price helps you, and you get a conversion date or a conversion price. So let's say the conversion price is $100 a share on the stock, and it's at 52. If it gets there, you can convert to common stock if you want to, all right? So, by the way, there's also convertible stock, and it's preferred. You know, it's convertible preferred. And there's two types of preferred. There's convertible preferred, a regular preferred, and then what they call a cumulative preferred. Cumulative preferreds kind of is you know I bought a lot of these uh, in the uh, before the uh, the wipeout in two thousand nine, and any company that would cut their dividend in order to reinstate their dividend they had to pay all of the interest from the cumulative preferred okay before they paid a regular dividend. So I got paid, and then, by the way, I bought these things at eighteen nineteen. They got called at twenty five, <laughs> so they worked pretty well. But. So convertible bonds are kind of a good way for a fixed income investor to get some cash on the up on the up and up and then maybe participate on the upside on the, on the stock market. OK, so uh, I just thought I'd mention that because several people had asked me about bonds in the last couple of weeks. You know, global markets have weathered two key events this week. And, and I think the, the latest Fed meeting and then the highly anticipated first quarter GDP. Um both were highlighted uh, some near-term uncertainty because of the bonds, and we're going to talk about that second half part of the show. But this week, the Federal Reserve meeting was never expected to deliver much in the way of fireworks, but did start the clock ticking on tapering. That's simple. Uh, if you didn't get that out of the, out of the, uh, the scenario, well, you, you missed the boat. <laughs> so, yeah, look, the indexes posted fresh highs, and it's it, once again you're not having the secondary stocks participate. Uh, the, te- the the technology stocks led the way, but Amazon got creamed, uh, Netflix got creamed. So not all you know the Fang stocks did, and uh, so it, it it's it's still a small amount of stocks bringing us to new highs. So we got to uh, look at that too. Um, so people ask me about retirement accounts, and look, I think what you have to do is you have to start to be thinking about what you're going to do. In retirement, and I think you've got to start about health, home, hobbies, all that type of stuff when you're planning for retirement. It isn't just about the numbers. That helps. The other thing you've got to remember is safeguard your 401k. There's hackers out there that are looking to grab it, okay? So that came from uh, uh, Merrily, I think is her name. Uh, so, Merrily, remember, make sure your passwords, you change your passwords on your 401k fairly regularly. Um, You know, there's a lot of challenges coming at the stock market, and they're coming from all different directions, and the rally continues, and the behavior isn't really counterintuitive once we consider the one factor that sets the tone for early performance, and that's corporate profits. You know, if you went to any of my Bob Dickey, uh, who was our head uh, technician then, all he talked about was earnings, earnings, earnings. People asked, "What, what about this, and how does it affect the market? He said, earnings affect the market. Well, corporate earnings have been sensational, and that's one of the things that you gotta remember. So just keep that in the back of your head. Now, another thing I think you have to start to think about. I noticed, you know, I said all the green stocks got hammered, and I noticed plug power, uh, you know, had a really good, re- well, a pretty big loss, but it was a good revenue report. And it was up three bucks, and I think it finished flat. All right. Which tells me they're not ready to get back into the solar or, or any of the, uh, hydrogen or any of the green stocks yet. But one area that I think that's pretty interesting that continues to make new highs is the green metals. What are the metals that are used, you know, like lithium and, and, uh, a whole bunch of stuff like that. There's, there's a lot of companies making money, you know, the industrial, industrial commodity prices sagged at the onset of the COVID and now they're going crazy. And, uh, you know, the Chinese government is moving to realign the, uh, the, uh, the country's economy away from dependence on debt finance and the infrastructure, and they, they're moving towards, you know, other things, and they're against the speculative uh, commodity buying. But, you know, copper stocks are going down, but copper isn't. Gold looks like it's making a massive cup-and-handle formation for the time being anyway. Silver looks great. Uh, oil, you know, broke out from a downtrend dated back to 2009, uh, hit a little resistance, looks like it's going to pull back a little bit. You know, sometimes you got to take a couple steps back to get a running jump. Aluminum isn't going down. Some of the aluminum stocks went down, but not all of them. All right. So it's a very interesting time. And I, uh, I think a lot of these things are in, you know, the quote unquote ESG, the green stuff. Okay. So all right, so here's a couple, I think we got a minute or two left in this, this, this sector, so let's just talk about a few things. Last week, we highlighted the 10-year yield index, and we said we matched it up against two other indexes, and I really couldn't tell the difference. I think it was one zig at one and at one zag, maybe. The 10-year yield index and the regional bank index were perfect together, and then the Russell 2000 was pretty close. And this week, the 10-year yield broke out to the upside. This is the yield now. So bonds went down. So we hit almost uh, 1.3% from 1.17 in three days. Big move. And the the CRE, uh, KRE, I'm sorry, which is one of the regional uh, ETFs that I was looking at, uh, bounced up and broke its downtrend line, as did the Russell 2000. So, uh, by the way, the Russell 2000 has a lot of banks in it, a lot of regional banks, like 500 so with the spread increasing, the regional banks make more money when they lend money, okay? So that's what it's based on. The other thing I noticed is that semiconductors, you know, and I, I have a certain index I'm looking at. There's five different indexes of these, and some of these don't look so good. It, they broke out. And then finally, the India Nifty 50 index broke out for the first time. Uh, We've going sideways for about four or five months. Okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. If you have any questions, remember 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. We'll be right back. OK, we're back. Uh, and, and much to my dismay, the uh, the bassist from uh, that band, Dusty Smith, died last week. Uh, it was one of the better bassists out there. So anyway, uh, you know, one of the most depressed sectors of the global economy is travel and leisure. And uh, fortunately, I think the future looks a little bit brighter for him as growth in the sector has ramped up pretty much uh, this year. So we'll see what happens. But the pandemic drove travel and leisure spending down 60 percent. In 2020, uh, and if you took out the first two months of 2020, it was more like 78%. And so, with the, in, in the introduction of vaccines, spending is expected to rise 29% this year, uh, with a more expensive, uh, extensive recovery next year when the industry expected to grow to 61%. So, the entire industry may benefit in the short term. Uh, long-term winners will be differentiated by, obviously, by their position in the industry, but. Data from bookies.com suggests that the main source of vacation inspiration for the majority of people is searching online. Uh, well, about one third find inspiration from talking to friends and family. So there we go. But, uh, it does look like they are taking off. I'm sorry. I had to, had to say that, right? Uh, anyway, um, you know, I looked at some things and, uh, so, I guess I guess the thing that I saw this week that kind of perturbs me a little bit, let's makes me think out loud, is uh, I was looking at the S and P 500 hit new highs, and everybody's talking. And you know, you guys see on BC, they're all talking about new highs. Where there's two or three very smart guys on CNBC they're saying yeah, new highs. However, and they talked about the advanced decline line. However, I look at the advanced decline line, uh, advanced decline volume line, which is making a series. Of lower highs. So when we're going up, we're going up with less volume. And that's not particularly a a great thing, all right? Now, that can change in in a matter of uh, moments. And uh, what I did see, you know, is I did see some of the small cap banks break out, which is very important. And I did see the 10-year treasury yield break out, which is important, I think, for the smaller names. The other thing I noticed and I, I looked across the board at some of the names that uh I I like is if I look at the KBE which is the uh spider for the bank index uh it it broke above resistance uh at you know to 5150 uh which is very positive also the MACD and the PPO turned up MACD is the moving average convergence divergence if you don't know what that is you should and PPO uh go look it up yourself uh jp morgan was another name that popped up and uh you know so we had a lot of these names uh stuff that had been just drifting down uh you know and any kind of funny and it was you know life insurance companies it was investment banks it was the whole kit and caboodle. so a great de- a great deal of the financials uh broke out on friday and uh, thursday and friday now the other thing I saw, was the Chinese government is absolutely intent on the decimation of the Chinese market. And, uh, you know, I look at uh, Canada, Germany, France, United Kingdom, India, they all look pretty good. And then you look at China and you say, where did that come from? Uh, China actually broke its support line last week. So, um, you know, if I get the opportunity, I only have one Chinese stock, and I, I'll be, uh, yum China. Actually, I hit a new high the other day. But um, I, I do think there is, couple indexes you've got to to follow fairly closely. And, and, you know, it's very important that the financials lead the way. And if you look at the Nifty 50 uh, Bank Index, well, you know, it looks good. And if I look at the Nifty 50 Bank Index in India, it looks really good. (laughs) So, uh, you know, India seems to be, uh, and I'm not sure what's going on there, maybe they're, uh, you know, um, catching up to the – uh, the overall, uh, you know, uh, Delta variant or whatever, but uh, India seems to be uh, a place to go, okay? Now, look, I, I was looking uh, at, at technicals, and I, I, you know, I listen to Rob Schleimer every week, and uh, the cyclical backdrop is advanced, but it's still intact. Remember, we talk about, you know, there's a four-year cycle, which is, you know, it, within a bull market, and then, there's a, you know, 16 to 18-year cycle in a secular bull market. So we started our bull market, obviously, March of 2020. So we're one and a half, one and a quarter years into it. So what you've got to start to worry about is, you know, going forward, there will be a correction. And, you know, usually it's uh, 10% or 12%, somewhere in that four-year cycle. But uh, the hard part, I think, now is that, you know, from a tactical viewpoint, is that there's more sector and style, uh, style rotation developing than I've seen in a long time. And it, it the, you know, what you see is a rotation for five or six days and then it goes away. So there's no, you know, there's no commitment uh, because quite frankly, the, the government is changing the rules so quickly. I mean, they're going after the, uh, uh, you know, the high volume guys. They're going after, well, they're going after anywhere they can tax. Okay. So, uh, that's a problem. And so, you know, for five days, you get the growth stocks to go ahead. For five days, you get the, the basic materials and the value stocks to go ahead. And then it switches from small caps to large caps, you know, that type of thing. And uh, I will say small caps have been negative, negative momentum for 22 weeks and mid caps for 19. That's a long time, okay? Even the standard pours, uh, what we call equal weight, where each stock gets one vote. They, they've been negative for 17, 18 weeks, too. So uh, a turn would be very positive for the market, in Tim Hayes' opinion. Now, I, I mentioned last week that I thought the 10-year yield had uh, bottomed, and it did. Uh, it's up, uh, you know, those millions of dollars made and lost in the bond market last week uh, from Thursday to Friday. So, and, and copper and oil are relatively resilient. And I also think if you look at uh, aluminum that way. Now, now gold's in a bigger trading range, but gold did break above the high that was, you know, formed back in two thousand eight. Okay, so it it's in it's still above there, but it's not going. It's not breaking above. I think it's going to be uh, you know two thousand. So if it breaks above two thousand, that would be a beautiful cup and handle formation, Tim Hayes's opinion. But so the commodities are holding their own. Some of the commodity stocks are getting, you know. Beat up a little bit. So we'll see what happens. But we had a rebound in growth stocks from a very oversold level uh, that developed in May. And it continues with a few names here and there. And so we're having secular growth now, too. So, uh, you know, that's interesting. But we're having cyclical growth, too. So what we're doing is five days of this and then stops and five days of that. So <laughs> it's hard to tell you exactly what's going on. But just remember the four-year cycle, you know, you have a bottoming process at the end of the four year cycle. You have, have a sell off. You know, 2016, we had a sell off right before the election that summer, and then we rallied for four years. And then 2020, we had our sell off, and, and it'll probably go till 2024 when we have another sell off. But we are testing the upper end of the 12 year channel, okay, dating back to the 2009. Well, well, yeah, we'll call it 2009 bottom, all right? So, you know, you just want to be a little bit more careful. And like I said, you know, the, the one thing that's kind of interesting, though, is if I look at a weekly chart, now that's a monthly chart, okay, if I look at a weekly chart, the momentum indicators are starting to turn up. Uh, so that's, you know crazy stuff's going on here. Um, now, if I look at the uh, stocks versus bonds, it's definitely better being stocks and bonds, okay? Uh, but, uh, in, and, I, and if I look at the daily indicators, it looks like the, the momentum has peaked <laughs> So uh, in the S&P 500. So it's kind of weird. And the advanced decline lines, you know, uh, have stopped going up. And I think the important thing is, if I look at the advanced decline volume line, it actually makes a series of lower highs, which uh, that's usually not good. Uh, but, you know, I look at the equal weight index, and it's it, it hasn't gone up. It's gone sideways. So, and same with the, the S, I mean, the uh, Russell 2000. So they're, they're going sideways in a situation which, uh, uh, makes you want to think, you know, what's going on. The problem is the relative performance to the S&P 500 has weakened. And that's, uh, you know, that's the situation now in the, in the Russell and, and also I think the, uh, the, uh, uh, S&P 500 equal weight, the daily, Charts show, uh, or the weekly charts show, that the momentum indicators are oversold and starting to turn up. So we'll see what happens. Now, remember, I said three weeks ago I, I don't like it when everybody's uh, bullish, and we we got up to forty-nine uh, percent or fifty-one percent bulls, and uh, now we're back down to into the thirty-five area, and the bears w- who had been uh, non-existent. Uh, well, actually, I should say the bears were up at fifty uh, at the beginning of the year. Uh, now are, you know, they were down to uh, the, the 20 level. So uh, people neutral and kind of, you know, bouncing around a little bit. Now, if I look at value versus growth, growth is still winning the game, okay, in a monthly chart, uh, still way above, the with the exception of the small cap. Uh, the mid caps and the large caps are way above still where they were. But if you look at the daily chart, there's a, been a big struggle and growth got whacked pretty hard from February 29th. And by the way, at the beginning of the year, I said I I thought there'd be a correction starting the end of February. So we did have a pretty big correction in the growth stocks, but some of them are still down 30 or 40%. Now, the other thing I noticed is the the high beta stocks, which is dominated by cyclicals, uh, has has, uh, been, you know, correcting. Uh, it, It had broken out and been correcting. And then I looked at all the emerging markets and the european stocks and they all look good but the relative performance versus the us is is not so good so just keep that in mind the shanghai index by the way the relative performance broke down so be careful there all right let's take a break remember the uh, phone number here is 216-901-0945 216-901-0945 we'll be right back just because we get around Talking about my generation Okay, we're back. Uh, you just tuned in to the Smart Investor Show. And, you know, the last few months have seen a uh, very significant shift back from value to growth. And, you know, we often, often focus on the large cap comparisons, but we've seen value versus growth difference uh significantly on the small cap side as well and the russell 2000 value crossed below the unacceptable three three on the dorsey wright system by the way uh on july 16th and now has a fund score of just 2.75 which is a negative score direction by the way and in dynamic asset level investing that our friends at dorsey wright provide us with uh the small cap value style has fallen from second to sixth from the beginning of july so uh the IWN moved to a sell signal on July 8th and went on to test support. So, uh, since the end of the quarter, the IWN has returned 3.4%. Uh, the Invesco pure growth ETF has gained 6.14. So, you know, growth has taken over again. So I think that's with the lower of the interest, the interest rates coming down. But if you look, uh, you know, the IWN, which is the, the, uh, iShares Russell Value ETF has now come back into account of the X's, so we'll see what happens over the course of the next couple of months. Um now we always talk about the bullish percent on this show and the reason we talk about it is just simply it's our main risk guide. And uh you know we we went down all the way down to fifty and uh then we had we were up three percent last week and we are up three point seven percent this week. And we moved into a column of X's, which means the offensive team is back on the field. Remember, this goes from zero to 100. When we get over 70, and some people are real hyped up about their portfolios and uh, uh, is a time when you should be frightened. <laughs> you know, when there's greed around, when everybody's talking greedy, you should be frightened. When everybody's talking it's the end of the world, you should be buying. Okay, it's that simple. And then we go down to 30, 30 which we call the green zone. By the way, everything above 70 is the red zone. And the green zone says, "Hey, everybody's selling, let's buy." Okay, um, and believe me, it works. Uh, now, a column of X's means we have the offensive team on the field. The an okay place; uh, it's not perfect. You know, you'd like to have it below thirty, but it's better than seventy, uh, where we've been. You know, we've been between sixty and, and eighty now for uh, you know pretty much the whole year. Um, and I, by the way, I. I I've been doing this a long time and we had seven bullish percent moves from X's to O's this year. That's once a month and you don't see that very often. So it's been kind of a crazy year. The last couple of years have been kind of crazy. We've had a lot of things we don't know. Now, the problem is the over the counter index or the small caps are still in the column of O's. Now, they're at 45, so they're pretty, you know, they're getting close to that 30 number. And the world index is the same way. So we're we're not seeing a great, you know, a a great total uh, move, uh, shall we say. Now, if, you know, I looked at Dorsey Wright's uh, subsectors and it was kind of interesting. The the groups that were ranked the best were heavy construction, steel, heavy machinery, building, advanced industrial equipment, and auto manufacturers. And industrials, uh, both diversified and services. So, it's mostly value stocks, all right? Um, now, the other thing I noticed is the the Dow Jones, the XLG, which is large caps, and the QQQs have had uh, been positive for a couple of weeks. Well, the QQQs and the XLGs just went negative for the first time. But what's really interesting is if you look at the, the Invesco equal weight, it's been negative for 16 straight weeks. The mid-cap index, the IJH, has been negative momentum for 17 weeks. And the small-cap index has been negative for 22 straight weeks. So that's a long time in the stock market world. So just think about that for a while. And we hit, now we have the, you know, when interest rates were going up, small-caps were going up because economic activity was going up. The banks were starting to lend again. Regional banks were starting to lend and actually make a profit doing it. So that's kind of interesting. Now, the emerging markets, I noticed that the frontier and the emerging markets have been negative for five weeks. I think that's 99% China. So, I mean, if you look at these, and I'll talk about that later, but if you look at them on the side, uh, you know, if you look at the major market performers, uh, the emerging markets are up just 1% for the year, but the small cap index is still up 20 after having a 30 40% correction in a lot of these stocks. So that's amazing. And then if we look at the uh, mid cap index, it's still up 17 and a half same situation. So the equal weight index is up 20. Uh, the S and P 500 is up 18. Uh, so it's, it's been a big year, you know, uh, and I, I think you got to remember that. And, uh, if you, if you look at core equity, it's kind of interesting. Now what's really interesting is if I look at favored sectors. Okay. And there's only four favored sectors. Remember we started out the year and we were. You know, when you buy, buy a sign curve, everything was to the right. And every, we had 31 favorite sectors. Now we're down to four, and we're moving to the left slowly but surely. So participation is by less and less stocks. So we're seeing the advanced decline line go up. They're going up in price, but the volume is not there. you like to see the, you know, on days that the stocks advance, you'd like to see heavy volume. I've noticed in the last couple weeks we've had days where we're up 100, 200 points on the Dow, and there's twice as much volume, selling volume, as there is buying volume. It's not unusual, but the stock, the groups that are favored right now, are savings and loans and banks, and they're at 60%, so they're below 70. But I, you know, you might want to wait and see if you can get them a little bit lower. And then at 54 is textiles, and then healthcare is at 45. We do have several groups under 30, uh, biotech and drugs. Uh, you know, there's a lot of drug stocks breaking out with, without much volume, but it's kind of interesting. I did notice that uh, telephony stocks uh, went completely unfavored and textiles went from co- completely unfavored to favored and semiconductors went from unfavored to average. And then we had waste management and gas utilities, which were very favored go to neutral. So those are some things you got to remember. Now, I looked at international stocks this week, and I was kind of surprised that uh, if you look, if you took out China and a few other countries, <laughs> everything else looks good. Netherlands, Taiwan, South Korea, Sweden, and, and Finland all look re- really good. Uh, we do have somebody on the line, Alex. How are you? Yeah, good afternoon. Say, um, how are you? Wanted to get you good, real good. How are you today? No complaints. I wanted to get your thoughts on something. Um, a friend of mine is, is a, you know, professional, I wouldn't call him a professional investor. He's kind of like a, a, you know, amateur investor. And he squares up and down that the best way to invest is just buy index funds and, um, ride them for the long term. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Is that a good strategy? Well, in from 2000 to 2013, it was a really bad strategy uh because you would have broke even for the whole thirteen years. So in a bull market oh, wow. it's not a bad strategy. Yeah. Uh but look I, I tend to use money managers who beat the index over a period of time, who are very cautious in periods of down markets. All right. Um look I, I have a, a manager who has one double digit down year in twenty seven, twenty eight years. One mm. and that's wow. that's through two, 2000 to 2013. Remember, if you would have been in an index fund in 2008, you would have been down 37%, and you would have started off 2009 down another 15 Now, that's the index, all right? So, that a lot of people who said that ha- happened to work for Vanguard, and the gentleman died just recently. He's a very respected man. I, I met him before, and was he knows what he's talking about. But uh, I, I don't know if I want to go through that. How about you? Uh, I'm kind of a risk-averse guy myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, there's nothing wrong with the stock market. I mean, you can make a fortune in the stock market if you do it the right way. But to, just to hold the index fund and forget about it, uh, you would have had a 50% drawdown in, in less than a year and a half in 2008, 2009. Uh, not many yeah, people I, like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. have a stomach for that kind of volatility. Yeah, so uh it really depends on the person, you know, and, and but by, by the way, that's uh that that's the uh you know, active management versus passive management story. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I mean you had two times in the two thousand from two thousand to two thousand ten when you had a fifty a percent drawdown almost. So that yeah. uh, you know, if you wanted to be an in index fund during that, be my guest. By the way, I was I was the guy that came on the air and two, at the end of two thousand seven and I I, I don't know if we can find this tape recording ever again, but uh, I came on and said that the money market would outperform the stock market for the next year and a half. And I said it for six straight months. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) All right. So, uh, you know, it happens. And uh, that's why I talk about all this stuff, you know, and our friends at Dorsey Wright help us a lot. And our, you know, we had Bob Dickey who was saying, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. And, Rob Schleimer has done the same thing occasionally. So uh, you know, I follow these guys. I do my own charting for a reason, Alex. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my my answer is, right. your your friend is an amateur. <laughs> He's probably a great guy though. He's probably a great guy. So. Uh, yeah, great. All right. I appreciate your insight. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Have a great day. See you. You too. Bye bye. Anyway, like I said, if you have a question, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. And 945 And, you know, what's kind of interesting is, is the 10-year yield, uh, the five-year yield, I'm sorry, five-year yield, the FY or F D X broke to a new low today. So it's at 0.625%. A uh, couple other things I noticed is, is crude oil has been negative for about four weeks now, but it's not. Pulling back a whole lot—that's a good sign, very good sign. And copper and and gold went positive a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the momentum went positive. Uh, I, I noticed a couple of things. Crude oil um, pulled is it's pulled back about five bucks, four bucks. Yet the energy sector, the XLE, which was at fifty-seven, pulled back all the way to forty-six in a week. How's that? You know, we found, I saw the same thing with copper stocks and aluminum stocks. And silver stocks and gold stocks, and it's, it's kind of amazing. The other thing is I noticed natural gas, the continuous natural gas, that's NG slash, by the way, will break a double top at 410. It's at 405 right now. Yet if you look at the natural gas ETFs, they're all making lower highs. All right? Now, one other thing, and uh, I'll, I'll leave it here. We have relative strength buys. Here they are. Uh, Alliance Bernstein Holdings, Credit Acceptance. Dexcom, Harmonic Light, Max Lanier, Arcturus Therapeutics, uh, and Altison Corporation and Arch Resources. Uh, so those are stocks that you want to write down and follow them for a while because relative strength is very, very important. You know, you want to add technical, fundamentals, and then observations. We'll be right back. This is the Smart Investor Show. Remember, 216 9010945 We'll be right back. Okay, we're back, little Doobie Brothers for the hot afternoon here. <laughs> anyway, we uh, we often talk about insiders on the show, and we talk about them because they know their companies better than we are. What a novel concept, huh? Uh, you know, none of what I do is rocket science, but it is a combination of using strategy, fundamentals, and technicals to create an outcome. All right. So I have a process. Now sometimes the process doesn't work. You know, on Friday I had to sell a stock for a loss. It happens sometimes. Even Warren Buffett has a loss occasionally. Talk to him about US Air sometime. All right. Everybody, nobody's perfect, but the point is, is that we have a deliberate process that we use time and time again. And when it works, it works big. One of those things that we look for is insider buying, especially when we see good fundamentals and good technicals lining up at the same time, all right. So I, I'll, I'll make mention of a company called nuco uh, <laughs> Neo Lucan, sorry, uh, where there was two insiders that bought a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock, which it's about a seven dollars stock, and the CFO bought fifty thousand dollars worth of stock. Now the reason I mention this is you may recall just four months ago, Baker Brothers. Bought fourteen million dollars worth of the stock. Baker Brothers are smart money, and they bought it about fifty cents higher, okay, than these guys. So uh, Neo Lucan is the name of the company. Uh, now here's a real interesting one: Sun Communities. It's a residential real estate REIT. Real If you don't know what REIT is, it's a real estate investment uh, trust. So it's it it's your ability to buy real estate on the market. And use, uh, by the way. They have to pay out eighty percent of their their cash flow in dividends, or they're not a read anymore. They don't qualify for a read anymore. Now, what's interesting about this one is uh, Gary Schiffman, who's the CEO and chairman, uh bought forty five point six million dollars worth of stock, which ain't jump change. He owns a million shares now, and he did it a new high. 192, uh, 196.26. It was a new high. I love seeing that. <laughs> uh the only thing that would be better Be better is if the CFO bought at the same time. So we'll, we'll watch for the CFO. Now, I also uh, – infrastructure and engineering alternatives. You know, we mentioned these guys last week where a director had bought $35 million. And uh, that, that this is Eris Capital Management, which is smart. But they bought another $35 million, just so you know, uh, the next day. Uh, so it qualifies for this week. Also, uh, Ben Franklin Resources, which is a financial – which was a $36 stock is now a $31 stock and bounced last week by the way uh we had uh Franklin Resources which is you know kind of an affiliate of the investment manager by 6.4 million dollars worth of stock so you always like to see that and then Mitchell Rails is a guy you should probably know about there's a specialty uh industrial machinery company called Colfax and he bought 5.7 million on the 2nd and then on the on the um, the 3rd he bought 3 million and then he bought 2.8 on the 4th. Uh, so Colfax is, is the name of the company. Now, here's one that our analyst really likes, although, you know, biotechs have been out to lunch. Uh, it's funny because a lot of mutual funds filed 13 Ds and, and uh, thirteen Gs and 13 Ds on these things, which are 5% positions. And they've gone to, you know what, in a handbasket over the course of the last uh, month and a half, and I'm not sure why. But uh, Bruce Stacks, which is, he's a very smart guy, you know, look him up, uh, just bought uh, $3 million worth of Vertex Farm. Now, Vertex has a, a product for uh, people who have, uh, oh, I just forgot the name, it's the lung disease that's a big problem. Uh, and and it, it's a pretty, I have a friend whose uh, son who's on it, and it, it seems to be helping quite a bit. Uh, and then Kemper, Kemper Insurance now, you know, which was uh, an $80 stock, is now a $65 stock. Uh we had uh Stu Parker who's a director uh by twenty five thousand shares of one point five four million, so that's always a good thing. And then uh Bright Health Group, for those of you like Jeff Immel from GE, <laughs> not my favorite guy, ran the company to the ground as far as I'm concerned, uh he just stepped up to play, he's a director there and bought a million dollars worth of stock. So something to think about a couple names that I I've seen in the past, uh, Steve Chazen, who's the chairman and CEO of Magnolia, which is an oil and gas company, which was, I think 18, uh, 17 and a quarter, 17 and a half, a couple, um, make it 16, and a quarter, 16 and a half is now 14. He stepped up and bought, uh, this is the fourth time he's bought in the last six months. And he bought 50,000 shares to the tune of $700,000 worth. And uh, Alan, uh, Holly, who's the CFO of uh, Louisiana Pacific, which is uh, into you know wood, uh, he bought seven hundred thousand dollars worth of stock. Now, I own that stock, I still own some of it. Um, I had some traders sell it uh, at around sixty eight, sixty nine, but I don't think lumber is a problem. Like I said. Uh, I don't think there's enough of it right at the moment, so it could get interesting again. Uh, and then another one, Woodward, which is an aerospace – uh this is the first buy I've seen in this company in a long time. It's Dave Hess is a very smart guy. He's a director. He bought half a million dollars worth of stock. Now, a couple other ones that – uh smaller buys, but I I, th- I like them. One is uh, Toby Rice, who's the president and CEO of EQT Corporations, which is in the uh oil and gas field. He bought uh, $500,000 on the second – and then bought. Uh, uh, well, the, then his chief financial officer, by the way, bought uh, one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of it uh, on the third, and then uh, he he bought again. Uh, the chief financial officer bought one hundred fourteen thousand dollars worth. So uh, that's that's kind of interesting. And uh, another thing I think is interesting is uh, Richard Shooter. The shooter uh, bought Bausch uh, Health. The old well, let's just put it this way: this thing, this stock's been killed. First major insider buy since Carl Icahn. Okay, so uh, a name to uh, put into your thing. Now, there's uh, one other. One, there's two other ones I want to uh, talk about. Uh, one is American Asset Trust. This is Randy Ernst, who's the chairman and CEO. Bought a lot of stock last year. Made made quite a bit of money off it so far. He bought uh, one, two, three, four, five times to the tune of about three hundred and seventy thousand dollars each time big, big move, all right? Uh, and then uh, Cornerstone Building Products. This is the first buy I've seen this. George Ball is a director, smart guy, also bought some more. Okay, so, you know, look, here's here's what I'm thinking. Uh, we've got a couple minutes left. The dollar is still in a long-term downtrend, and the, I guess the question is, uh, you know, if we break out here, uh, it'll be the first higher low in this, in the dollar in a long, long time. The question is, will it? Alright, so that's the big question. I look at the weekly, uh, index and it made a little bit of a double bottom and it's the first higher low I've seen, you know, in a while. Uh, you know, you know look, we made a big low back in, uh, 2000, you know, the, 2008 to 12 time frame, and uh, so we're at the downtrend line. So it'd be interesting to see if, if we break through that. Now, the Canadian dollar broke out against the U.S. dollar. What does Canada have? Commodities, lots of them, lots of them. That's what they're they're based on. The other thing I want to say is oil has broken the downtrend line that goes all the way back to 2014. Uh, it really goes back to 2009 all right so here we have oil recovering because the president's cut off the pipelines uh it's kind of interesting so we'll see i i think on a daily basis crude is pretty oversold it hasn't turned up yet so we'll see what happens now as far as uh i look at gold versus copper you know uh, gold's relative performance versus copper is not so good um and but gold has this huge breakout dating back to 2009 and uh so now the question is, will it break out again? I think it's going to get like 2,080 to get there. Uh, and we're at 1,800. People said, wow, that's a long way. But just remember, gold has gone up two, $300 several times in my career uh, in a day. Uh, copper, you know, is, is right where it peaked back in 2011. Uh, but it certainly isn't going down much. So we're seeing a lot of stuff on the commodities that I think are really kind of interesting. Uh, and... Uh, We'll just leave it at that. So, uh, what would I do right now? I'd be looking. uh, Dividend stocks are the cheapest I've seen them since before Obama came into office. And the reason they were cheap then was because uh, they're slower. It's a slower way to get rich. Okay, but it just sounds to me that Mr. Biden is doing a lot of things that Mr. Obama uh, did. He's doing them all with executive orders. Uh, This guy said he. That was funny. Right before he, left, he said, those who govern by executive order are dictators. And he's on, I think he's number 81 now. Uh, <laughs> and he's only been in office five months. But anyway, we if you go to WHK 1420 and uh, go to local podcasts and go down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes, we will provide you with these lists. We have the ADR list, the top ideas, uh, the Dividend growth portfolio, which is a great idea right now. If you're 40, that's the way to go. Dividend growth—you know—put your good money in there. Uh, you can't bake dividends. There were several companies that raised their dividends last week. Again, you know, six to eight percent—that's going to beat inflation. All right, the six to eight percent dividend increase will beat inflation. That—that's a good way. And by the way, dividends have a lower tax rate than than uh, uh, bonds, unless you're making over $400,000 a year in Mr. Biden's eyes. And we have the prime income list, which is for you people who are retired, you know, who want income right now. But we also have the small cap list, our top ideas, our multi-cap group, which has been doing really, really well. Uh, you know, they, they have large cap, mid cap and small cap. And uh, the small caps that they had have been extremely Extremely good at what they're what they're doing there. Uh, by the way, while you're at my web page, you know you have the contact me, the email me stuff all over the page, so you can get to me. But take a trip to Insights, and in Insights we all had stuff about Brexit. We have the uh, stuff about the market, about weddings, all sorts of stuff like that. And then on on the front cover, under bulletin board, is our our weekly newsletter, and also rob schleimer's work his weekly work and he'll he'll tell you what he thinks and he's a very good technician so anyway in the meantime have a great weekend uh this is a smart investor show my name is tim hayes if you want to have a cup of coffee my phone number's on that list i'd love to uh remember buy sell high have a great weekend